Greetings, everybody. A great blessing for me to come and talk to you today a little bit about prayer and how prayer works. In the introduction to our message, uh, since this is now a message that's recorded uh, on our in our Zoom church that we're having, so we're having like 30 people slotted in here or 30 computers slotted in, and we're just fellowshipping around the good news and sharing and worshipping together and so forth. But in the introduction, we talked a little bit about the way a husband is to treat a wife and it is like the Lord treats us and that is a love that is marked by giving and not getting so it says we need to understand this that when God loves us in Jesus Christ the love that Jesus has for us was not a love wherein God could see what he gets out of us because he had a need Uh, because he was needy or because he needed anything. It was all about what he wants to bring our way. And I think that is a very, very great foundation on which we can build prayer. Whenever we pray, we can go to God knowing that when we put in a request before God, he's not trying to get something from us because he is in any need. He's trying to get something to us. That will help us a lot when it comes to a guilty conscience. You know, we're feeling guilty, we're feeling bad, we have the sin consciousness. God, you know, uh, why is it that I feel so guilty and all of that? Once you know that when you enter into the throne room of grace, you're entering into that throne on a foundation of perfection. Because through one sacrifice, God has perfected you forever that means you fully qualify and i want to just explain that because i think that is very very important um and i've used this in a daily devotional where i explained this as well what this how it works how this qualification works is simple gentiles didn't qualify to go and receive the promise that god made and that was according to the law In God's mind, uh, he has always been for the Gentiles. But when we read Hebrews, when we read uh, Ephesians, Galatians, and a lot of the New Testament, we need to understand that that was written in the language and the understanding of the covenants and all of that. So the Gentiles were outsiders and the Jews were insiders. The Jews did not qualify because they did not keep themselves as God's covenant people. And I want to explain that. You know, in my studies of the law and how the law works, I start to understand these things better and better. The law was not really given as something that the Gentile, that the Jews had to do in order for God to do something for them. Although I did see it like that, I've in my studies I come to realize it wasn't really like that. Uh, the reason why people had to live the way they had lived was because that's how you live as God's people. And when they didn't live as God's people, the reason why they didn't live as God's people is because they started to worship other gods. And when they started to worship these other gods, then they were making their demand from these other gods and they weren't standing as God's people receiving what God has promised them. So it has always been that God has been a giver. He's never been someone that wants to get something. He's always been someone that wants to give. 
he, and if he wants to get something is he wants to get you to a place where you can receive his life. Okay, so in the Old Testament, this is how it worked. God made a promise to his people and there were covenants. The way these covenants worked, it was mostly, uh, and I didn't even plan to talk about this, but bear with me. Maybe this helps. Um, there was uh, families. Everything was found on, founded on a family. This family was maybe, let's say, 20 people large. Now, a small family like that cannot really survive in this world. So if you want uh, to make a covenant with someone else, what that covenant basically meant was you are now becoming part of this family. And that was made through promises that was made on both sides. And when you become part of the family, as you honor this promise and you're really saying, I am part of this promise, you then lived like the family. As family things happen, you, you are part of that family now. And that's how this covenant worked. If you would say, man, I don't want to be part of this family anymore. I'm sticking with another family. Then you start to live like the other family. And that would basically be you uh, distantiating yourself from those promises and what was given there. So I said all of this to say this. The Gentiles, according to that those uh, covenants, they were seen as outsiders. The covenant was not made with them. They didn't qualify for the promise because it was made unto the Jews. The Jewish people did not qualify for the promise because they were not part participating of it because they were always serving some other God and they've tried to use the law in a way where they don't mix it with faith, where they receive for free from God, but where they thought they had to work up their own righteousness so we sit with people here that don't qualify god came in jesus christ brought the sacrifice of jesus he offered his life and he offered his life for whosoever has death that would then be for all people so Jesus died for all, he was raised, and he is now given to humanity as the one that gives life to all people who would have death inside them. This then means that all people qualify. All people qualify. We, know, we don't come to the throne anymore thinking, do I qualify or don't I qualify? So you are fully qualified. That qualification does not mean you are saved. It just means you've got the right to, or the promise is to you, and you can now believe and receive it. So it's like a university. If a university has got a certain prerequisite, a certain qualification that you have to have in order to go and study at this institution, let's say it is you have to have 80% in your final exam for school. You're not getting the 80%. You're getting 75%. That means you don't qualify. You cannot go. But should the university say, we are allowing, let's say, 100 people with uh, a mark of 70%. They, are quali they qualify. The moment you've qualified and you now arrived at the institution, you're now living at a house there, you are going to the university, you never, ever think of do I qualify or don't I qualify ever again? You are now there to learn what they want to teach you, 
to uh, to get equipped with that which they have to offer, to get the knowledge they have and the expertise they have uh, to learn it so that you can have your life shaped and formed by it so that you can go and live. That live would mean that you can do a job and live. In the very same way, we come to the throne of God, not at all with a mindset of, do we qualify or don't we qualify? That we need to get out of our mind. Even if you have a sin, even if you have a weakness, you go to the throne of God knowing you qualify because the throne has been opened up for sinners. It's been opened up for the weak. It's been opened up for everybody. There's no disqualification anymore. The disqualification in the Old Testament was this. Uh, you... Or the qualification was this. You have to be of this, the seed of Abraham physically. You have to be a Jew. Then you had to be circumcised. And then you had to live as faithful people to the covenant. You had to live as God's people. And the prerequisite of living as the people of God in the earth was given in the Old Testament in the form of laws. Now, that is it. That should also have been mixed with faith, and so you will then be a partaker. The Jews did not qualify uh, because of the law part that they did not live by as God's covenant people. The Gentiles did not qualify because they were not Jews. Since the Jew-Gentile thing was taken out of the way, because there's a new creation now at the right hand of God representing people, bringing life to people that has died or that has got death in them, we never have to ever think of qualify or disqualify. It's not part of the, the thing. Now, the Bible says we come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in the time of need. And what he's talking about there is to, be, to have uh, God aiding you in your weakness. So whenever you have any shortcoming... You don't first have to go and feel guilty for three days before you can pray to God or have any confidence. You come just as you are. It's not even a question, do you qualify or don't you qualify? You qualify. And then at the throne of God's grace, as you speak to God, as you are in prayer to God, as you are in communication with God, God will teach you and empower you by the Holy Spirit and form and shape your life and so find that you are now sharing in his life. That's how it worked. Now, with that said, we are going to go to Philippians chapter 4 and I'm reading from verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Then he goes on and he says the next thing. He says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And this is what I want to point out here. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, if you're anxious about anything, so we're not even talking about qualifying or not qualifying. You now know you qualify. You going to this, you living in this world, but man, you are anxious. Uh, you lost your job. You are anxious. Uh, you've got some sickness. The doctor gave you a bad report. 
uh, your child, I'm thinking of, uh, of a good friend of Elena, her son fell into the fire and burned both his arms. Man, it was, it's not third degree, but he's going through a very difficult time. And he's in hospital, he's got a lot of pain and uh, infection and whatever. He's going through a very difficult time. You think of the mom, what she would feel, the, the dad, what, what he would feel in the situation. There's an anxiety that can be knocking at the door saying, uh, you know, this uh, infection can become worse, you know, and then fear can, and I don't even want to give examples of what can take place and what fear would say, but fear can tell you a lot of things and there will be anxiety. But what does a person like that do? What does Paul say? He says, he says, don't be anxious about these things, but in everything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, meaning you you praying to God, and we will look at prayer as well, uh, you know, like the Our Father and that kind of a thing. You've got a prayer to God where there's a, a worship of God in what you say, and then it says through prayer and petition, in meaning putting in a request. So we have something where we say, uh, Our Father, we want to just say, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That is a prayer. That is a, a communication of acknowledgement of who God is and where we stand as pertaining to that. But now we're going to God in our prayer with our anxiety and in this time of anxiety knocking at our door, how do we get rid of our anxiety? Very simple. We, through prayer and petition, that petition simply means you put in a request of what you think needs to take place in order for this thing to be settled. That's all. Your request. You, you put it before God with thanksgiving. You present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The way that works for me is, I have, I've seen God and he has been shown as a very faithful God. So when I go to God, a God that will never harm me, a God that is not there to try and get something from me, not a needy God, but a God that loves and shares, that his love is earmarked by how he wants to bring something to me, how he is for me, how he wants to bring good to me. When I go to such a God and I through prayer and petition, in other words, prayer and I submit myself to him, I humble myself to him knowing that I'm standing under the power of his love. He's going to love me into life. That is what this is. And then I bring what I think needs to take place. God, uh, this is this is a situation, but what I want from you is, can you heal my son whose arms has burnt? Thank you, Lord, that you stopped the infection. Thank you, Father. This is this is my request, and because you bring it to someone that has been earmarked as very faithful, loving, and caring, you will find that peace start to flood your mind. Anxiety also means to be double-minded or to uh, to be at a place where you feel you need to take up certain responsibilities instead of God taking up this responsibility. 
as we are not double-minded, but we know it rests on Him, we find our heart go to rest in this situation. Now, I want to go quickly to Matthew. Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. I think we as the church, we need to realize, I think this is a very important thing to realize, and I'm saying it to everybody in the web church this morning, and as this video will also be on YouTube for a broader audience, um, I want to say this. I see, and this is my opinion, that there are a lot of folk uh, that come to God and continually feel guilty. And as they continually feel guilty, they want to have the message of God's grace to become better and better and better on how God accepts sinners. And then people fall into tremendous sins where they feel this is a serious sin. You know, I shouldn't have done this. This is a very bad thing. A guy cheats on, on, his, on his wife or vice versa, or people get in, involved in some serious uh, pornography, sexual immorality, drugs, alcohol abuse, and all those kind of things. And this continues now for a longer period of time. And every time they come to the throne of grace, they just know God's not angry with me. And then they go away and they just make sure God is not angry with them. And maybe God speak a word of encouragement to them and so forth. And as God speaks this word of encouragement to them, oh, hallelujah, you know, um, I, I feel happy I can have life again because I'm sure God is not angry with me. And they continue, but they never receive freedom. And as freedom is not received, you know, the theology has to change more and more on how God uh, is, is not angry and how God just accepts you in your sin. And the very power of the gospel is not ministered and this is now flowing over to uh, people that has never accepted the lord and those kind of things so now everybody is now all of a sudden saved i mean i had a, a call this weekend from somebody from india and uh, he said to me he got enlightened now uh, he's, he's listened to my message for a certain amount of years and i've helped him you know to know that god is good but he's now no he's now come to realize that there's even higher knowledge than that of jesus and that is the universal christ and all this new age rubbish he's just back to old Plutarch and uh, some of Plato's stuff and back to socrates and back to uh, a kind of a self-control message that the old stoics ministered uh, back in ancient greece long before christ that's where they back unto and thinking it's a new thing just because they're uninformed on history <laughs> um and what happens there is you find people falling into difficult things and then when they come in there uh, praying they come with prayer thinking you know that and knowing that yes god doesn't condemn me and then they're just so happy that god doesn't condemn them but let me tell you something as we come to the throne of grace we as the church we can also put a demand upon god to bring forth a new life in us so i'm i already know i qualify that's not the issue now i don't go anymore to hear if god's angry or not angry i'm going to the throne of god's grace to be empowered with his life man that i can share in the joy of god's life 
I mean, this person said to me, said to me, Bertie, you know, uh, um, you know, you talking about true joy and you can be truly happy and all those kind of things. And, uh, you, you know, there's higher things in the spiritual world. I said to them, man, I'm not aiming for higher things in the spiritual world. I'm aiming for bodily immortality. That's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for a body that cannot die. I'm aiming to be raised from the dead. That's what I'm expecting, and I don't know how that's going to take place. And what I'm seeing is is the fruit in my life from that perspective, and that is what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for uh, seeing God by His power bring forth the fruit of the Spirit inside my life, sharing the very life of God in kindness and goodness by the doing of God. And then the highest is to find the fullness of God that manifests in the body of Jesus manifest in me. That's what I'm aiming at. I I don't. I'm not here to f- guilt is not even an issue not even thinking of guilt thinking of grabbing a hold of him for the purpose of why he grabbed a hold of me and that is to bring forth this life in me so I think and I just want to say this if we are as a church continuing along the lines uh, I must be careful on how I word this but I don't want to say too long because it will be forever where we know we qualified and that God is not angry and those kind of things. But once we know we qualified and we are in the throne room, uh, then we have to come to a place where we say, God, okay, you've had me. Why have you made me? And let's get busy with that. You know, it's like, uh, like the doctor. Why is a doctor there? The doctor is there so that you can be healthy and all those kind of things. Okay, thank God. I so, I'm so happy that the doctor is not angry with me and whatever. But man, if you've got uh, some, some sickness, let's say you've got uh, uh, appendix that's not right, you know, you go to the doctor and you say, man, I'm so glad. You can say to the doctor, I'm so glad that you're not angry with me. Hallelujah. But now uh, I'm here for what this is all about. And that is that I can be healthy and that I can share in your life because that is what you are about. That is what God is bringing to us. And I think that is the foundation from where we are praying, from where we are coming to the throne room of God's grace. And I I can tell you, man, there is Eliana, and we can testify of this. As this is the foundation where we walk with God, we find great fruit coming to our lives, peace coming to our lives, the fruit of the Spirit manifesting more and more in our lives as God is bringing forth and by the Holy Spirit uh, helping and aiding and bringing forth what God has for us in our lives. So, uh, sorry for this long thing, but man, I'm just, I just want to say this. I don't want you as people that is part of our web church to fall into universalism and the reason why i'm saying you don't want you to fall into universalism is in my opinion it's an absolute powerless message where the focus is on everybody is already the people of god everybody is already saved they just don't know it and the focus is not on the recreation that has taken place where jesus was reborn where he was first made of a woman you know and then 
that man Jesus which was a mortal man was recreated into bodily immortality where he cannot sin and how we who believe upon him now receive the spirit wherein we find the first fruits of new creation in us and that brings a brand new life the focus is not in that universalism message Uh, even I mean there's so many things that are going around in grace circles now that I feel I don't want to look like a heresy hunter, but church, as we go in our prayer to God, we have to have a foundation of, yes, okay, we qualify, but in this prayer, what is this about? It's about the resurrected Christ, what he's promised me, what his spirit brings forth in me, the kingdom of God in the earth, the Lord bringing what is new to me, and if I have a request or if I have a fear, that I can just bring it before the Lord Put that request before a faithful God who's even conquered death for me and who's bringing forth life in me. That is, that is what it is. And I say this with all seriousness today. Um, it is sad for me to see people believing in the gospel. Um, and before they really get a good grab of the resurrection and what God has done, they start to fall into a message which Very, very soon after that universalism thing sets in, I see a a certain percentage of those people getting into Buddhism, then getting into uh, we are the Christ, you know, believing we are gods, we are all innocent, and we've always been innocent, and Jesus Christ has now just revealed to us how innocent we are. We've always been saved. We've always been uh, equal to God, and all of that rubbish. Paul never preached that. That is just lies, and I want to tell you, it's a powerless message. You can hang into that message. The only power it has is to trick your mind in not feeling guilty, but power unto true life i just look at the lives of the people that are in that man it is not good it just doesn't it's not good and i will know that there will be some listen to this seriously disagreeing with me Uh, but then if you are the enlightened one then love me and you will then you then believe everybody's already saved and everybody's already perfect and whatever so leave me let me preach whatever i want to preach and walk your faith (laughs) you know walk according to your faith don't argue and fight it's like this person said man uh you know uh, i'm just deceived and people that preach the gospel they're just deceived uh you know and and it is wrong and this is another guy on instagram saying that and i just said well um if everything is god uh, that means i'm god and you're god why are you trying to correct god you're not even acting according to your very own belief. You don't even believe what you believe, what you say you believe. Because if you truly believe that everybody is God, how can God correct God? Because everything is God. It just doesn't make sense. And the sad thing is, is we see that infiltrating people that has believed grace for many years but they could not move on to the place where they understand the resurrection understand that yes there is no more yes we are qualified but now there's no more condemnation where we are condemned to a life of destruction and death where we can expect God to bring forth fruit in our lives hallelujah okay let's go to Matthew 7 
um, and we're going to look at verse 7. Then I think it might be a good idea if you put a timer on there. Ah. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Listen to this, and this is how we go to God. Which of you, if your son asks you a bread, will give him a stone? What I see there is likening it to God. If you need the bread of the Messiah, why will he give you a law? Because the law was written on stones. He's not going to do that. He's going to give you. He's going to give you what can bring you life. Or if he asks you a fish, if you need food, if you need nourishment, he will give you poison or the snake. He's not going to do that. God is never going to give us when we're at the throne room of his grace and we require something from him, anything but the body of Jesus. He's never going to give us uh, the poison of the snake. What did the snake tell Adam and Eve? You are, this is what Adam and Eve was told, you are already a son of God in your own power. You don't need God. You like God just by physical creation. You don't need God to promise you life and rely upon him. That was the message of the snake, wherein you found power and uh, power unto life in your own ability. So which one of you that has a son, if you ask him for a bread, will give him a stone? I like what Jesus does here. He just used normal analogy as well, but I do believe there's something deeper and spiritual that points to God giving to us as well. He says, if my son asks me a bread, Des Bertus, if he asks me a bread, if he sits, he sits here today, he's at home this weekend, he says, I want bread. I'm not going to tell him, here's a stone. <laughs> you know, I see things in pictures. If I give him a stone, then I'll have to take him to the dentist after that and even pay for that. I'm giving him bread. I'm his father. I care for him. I love him. If you ask for a fish, will I give him a snake? No. If you then, th though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, the Father in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So he says, listen. You can do to others as you want them to be done unto you because that is how God deals with you. Even Can you see how, how God deals with you in the throne room and gives good to you? Will immediately bring forth a life where you will live the same. So it's more than just answered prayer in God giving you the good. It is also a changed life that goes with it, that finds its source and its origin in God's love for you. That is how this works. So I want to say to you, if you've got a request that you've got to put in before God, I've got requests that I put in daily. <laughs> and I pray and I say, Lord, 
I've got this issue or I've got this anxiety, which is a, a, a mind where I feel I've got to take up the responsibility to bring forth salvation by myself. I'm not going there. I'm rather coming to you and I'm asking you and I'm bringing this before you. I think this is what needs to take place in order for this thing to be sorted out. I ask you for the following and I bring it to submission to God and what I do then is, and that is a place where we have to get to, and we get to it by knowing how much he loves us, is that we leave it there. We leave it with him. Man, I can tell you just by experience, that very thing you're going to leave with God maybe several times before you really leave it there. <laughs> I've seen it myself. Yeah. So how many, th- how many times have you now left this in the hands of Jesus? Well, I don't care as long as what I keep leaving it there. That is a good place to be. And as I get this love from him, I find the longer the period is that I just leave it there and continue in peace with God. So number one, you are qualified. Number two, you've got a God that wants to give good to you. He wants to bring that which is good to you. So we can pray and Uh, uh, expect him to give that answer there i want to go and look at this very same passage but this time from luke so he says here whatsoever you ask you'll receive but um and let me just read it again and then we're going to quickly go to luke this is what he says he says uh verse 11 if you then that are if, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, what would that good gift be? I believe it will be two things. The one will be the good that you ask. The good that you ask, which I believe have to be in line with the will of God. Let me give you an example. I might feel it would be very good. I used this example this morning while Lena and I were sitting there uh, in bed talking about the message. Imagine I sit here, I say, God, you know, it will be good for my emotions and for my stability in the faith if you create two other moons and let it rotate around the earth all in balance and whatever. It's not going to harm anybody. It would be good for me. I don't think my prayer is going to be answered. And the whatsoever there might not be in line with the will of God. Sometimes we pray because we want to spend that on our own lust, the Bible says, meaning the request of the prayer is simply basically fuel for our own works system. God doesn't answer work system things. He answers grace things. That's how it works. Now, I'll have to go into another uh, message to explain that. But I want you to know this, is that, yes, we ask, we put it before God. And this is the beautiful thing that I know when I pray. If I put a request before God, I rest and I know, and this is the answer, whatever the request is, whatsoever is good will always come my way. Now, we might be a bit afraid because what if I ask this and it is now not good? I've asked now for this specific car. I don't know if that is now good or not good. What God says is, whatsoever is good will come your way. If that is not good, do you, why would you want it? 
<laughs> no, you want what is good. So what is beautiful to me is I can put in my request. That request, in, if it's in the spectrum of what is good, I will have that request. So what's beautiful is from a mind that is shaped from the grace of God, who we are, who he is, what is made for us, from that mind there is, and I want to just speak uh, you in a normal way here, I would say a 85%, 90% chance that the request that you put in before God is going to be in line with what is going to be answered. A person whose life is always born out of the law, self-seeking and all of that, not knowing the grace of God, will have completely different requests than what you and I have. We who have been acquainted with a message of grace, we who have been pampered by the love of God, as we've been pampered by the love of God, He will give desires to our hearts. This desires that come to our heart is what we can make known to God with boldness, knowing that it will be answered. Hallelujah. That is how we live. And the beautiful thing that I have is I know that if I ask something that will not be good to me and I don't have full understanding, thank God that that will not be answered. But whatever is good as pertaining to that area of my life, my loving Jesus and Father will see that it comes my way. What a beautiful life to live. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God for that. I want to now quickly go with that same thing where it says, whatsoever you ask, you'll receive. And we're going to go to Luke 11. Luke 11, I think it's verse 9. It says, so, so I say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now it's going to give context to this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen to this, how much more will your Father in heaven not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, what he's saying is, is we make our requests known to God. And I believe in normal requests we make it known to God. But I also see in Luke that there's a deeper understanding of this. And that is, you are knocking, you are seeking, you are asking for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit means the life that is born from God in that area. Lord, I come before you. I use this friend again as an example. Thank you that you heal my son. And I thank you that I am knocking, seeking your life that is born from you in me in this situation. And thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you that the Spirit of God, I'm welcoming the, the resurrection power of Jesus in this area of my life. So if we are at a place and we're knocking and seeking, we're asking, we have our request according to Philippians 4, and we know that we are co-requesting the very life that's born from God in that area of our lives. So it is like, Lord, thank you that you sought this thing out for me. 
this is i know i qualify i can come with anything to you thank you that you help you provide let's say a vehicle for me in i need one here for instance or i need uh to go and study there or I need a job or whatever thank you that is that is my request to you and I also with that know that I am knocking and seeking and asking for a life born from the Holy Spirit in this in this area in my life if we that are evil know how to give food to our children how much more will God not grant us and give us a life born from his love for us and have us share in his life we're going to share in his life we're not going to get away from it that is what he is going to do I want to go to uh, this is going to be in Romans 8 two more verses I'm skipping a few verses but uh, let's go to Romans 8 Hallelujah. I want to tell you, our gospel, the gospel we preach in Web Church here, the gospel of the resurrection, is not a weak gospel. It is a very, very powerful gospel. It saves you, man. It saves your mind. It gives you hope. It changes your life. It brings forth what is new. It's God's doing in this earth. It is not a spirit gospel which is aimed at only your spirit and cannot have some real manifestation in this life. On the contrary, the gospel of Jesus is all about the real in this life. That's what it's all, it's just about that. It's not also about that. It is only about that. It is about God bringing heaven to earth and we've seen it manifest in the resurrected Jesus and thank God his body is not in the grave that means that the kingdom of God did not our bodies and who we are did not escape the salvation plan no salvation is fully defined in the empty grave in the resurrection and in the fullness of God now manifesting in man. We don't sit with this sloppy, sloppy message. We have a gospel where we don't have to think ourselves into a kamakama land or lala land where we just feel that we are on the clouds. No, we've got a gospel that saves We've got a gospel that brings forth new creation. And I'm not talking about your spirit. I'm talking about new creation, man. New and creation. Creation, when you think of creation, you're thinking of the physical earth creation, new creation. That's what you think of. <laughs> Glory to God. And our gospel has got a, a hope based on historic facts. There was a man like Jesus. Historically, it's true. There was something like an empty grave. The contemp contemporaries, the enemies of the church even acknowledged that there was something like the grave of Jesus and that the body was in the grave at a certain point of, in time and that the body is not there anymore. They at least acknowledged that. They didn't want to give the true reason on why it was like that, you know, why the grave was empty. They didn't conclude resurrection. They said it was just stolen. 
But he was raised in his physical body. He was raised from the dead. That is what we find. That is what we see. We've got a gospel that is true in this world. Then we find that the church scared people that were hiding away, all of a sudden were not scared anymore. They were not scared anymore. They were now all of a sudden not running to Galatia somewhere. They were staying in Jerusalem preaching that Jesus Christ was raised. And then the church grew into what it is now. I challenge you, go and fabricate the lie and see if it can grow like the church. It can't. The only true conclusion that there is... Can you see somebody's cameras on there? Okay, now it's off. Okay. So uh, if if you can see that the resurrection is for the here. And it brings forth life to us now. It's not something that is just spirit, spirit and gone. In No, it is real. It is new creation. It is of such a sort that Paul said there's neither Jew or Gentile. He's talking about physical creation now. He's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. He's talking about the spirit poured out on flesh. When we pray, when we go to the throne room of grace, we go with these things in mind and we have an expectation of God giving the Holy Spirit to us, bringing forth a brand new life in us. Hallelujah. We are uh, the colony. We've become a colony of heaven wherein heaven is manifesting in the earth. And man, I I, I mentioned those things because that's how we pray. Our Father which art in heaven. It's number one, our Father. It's not just my Father. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you, can you see that what I'm talking about and the resurrection, all those kind of things, is not like, oh, I'm going to float off somewhere when I die. And, uh, you know, and even uh, when Jesus comes back, we're floating off somewhere. No, we're floating nowhere. God is bringing his life to you. And you can believe it. It's true. Glory to God. This is what this is about. Romans 8. I'm going to look at this. Romans 8. You might say, but Bethy, I don't even know what to pray. Romans 8, 26. Let's read from verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning and is in pains of childbirth right up until this present time. It says the whole of creation is in the pains of childbirth. It's talking about something's being born. And what he's saying is, is the suffering that creation is going through should be likened to a woman that gives birth. That means there's a new life coming forth right there. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruit of the Spirit and even we groan inwardly as, they, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. I don't have time to explain that. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what is already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we patiently wait for it. So what he's saying is we're waiting for that manifestation of resurrection. We're not now changing our gospel. Church, believers in the grace of God, uh, web church, people that follow Dynamic Love Ministries and other preachers that preach along the lines of grace, listen to me. Don't get impatient when you're not seeing 
full manifestations of things and then start to feel guilty and now you're going in prayer and now you start to want to change the gospel into something that it's not. Just stick to this. Be patient. Verse 26. In the same way, listen to this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So as what we, uh, you know, are patient and as what we see this world in in a place where a birth is taking place, he says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So this intercession of the spirit if you study out this whole passage when you don't even know how to pray you just go to god and you've got a longing and a desire to see the life of god manifest in you and the holy spirit will help you by manifesting actions in your life and fruit in your life by what the spirit alone knows in how to line your life up with the will of god so the beauty of this is You know you're qualified. You go with your request before God, whatever that might be, normal things. Part of that request, you know that God will bring forth by the Holy Spirit life in you. When you don't even know what to pray and how to pray, you know that there's a groaning and a desire and a longing inside you to see the hope of the resurrection manifest in you. And in accordance to that hope and in accordance to what the will of God is, the Holy Spirit, when you don't even know what to pray, will bring forth in your life what needs to be brought forth. That has brought a lot of peace in my life. And it sounds like this in prayer or in communication with Eliana or my children or friends. Well, I just know it will work out fine. That's how it sounds. That's how that life is. Glory to God. Glory to God. So the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Jesus as well. Hebrews chapter 7. He's the intercessor. and You know what the definition for intercession is. Sin means to miss the mark. Intercede means to hit the mark of one throwing a javelin, hitting the mark. Sin says of one throwing a javelin, missing the mark. So intercession means to hit the mark, to hit the goal. So what he's saying is is God has got a goal for you. And as you don't even know what to pray, you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will see as your heart comes before God and you're just standing in the gospel of his grace, the gospel of his love, the gospel of what he's, what he's promised. And you say, I don't even know how to pray in this situation. I don't even know if I'm right or wrong. I don't even know what to ask. It doesn't matter. He will still bring forth life in you. He will make sure that you hit the mark. Or I like to put it this way, that God will not miss the mark with you. The Holy Spirit is there that God will not miss the mark with you. That's what it's about. So Jesus is there so that what God wanted to bring forth in people's lives can be brought forth through his resurrection. We come to him and in him we will find that God hits the goal 100% with you in bringing forth life and peace and joy in your heart. We have got an intercessor 
Jesus, the immortal, seated at the right hand of God, and he knows how to get us from where we are to the fullness of what he is manifest in this life. He knows, the Holy Spirit knows how to bring peace and joy and actions and fruit into our lives right now. So when we pray and we go to God, we go and we say, let me summarize it. Qualification is never even an issue. You qualify. You don't go with a guilty conscience. Oh God, I've done this and oh Lord. You don't even go there. It's not for you. We're not conscious of disqualification according to the flesh at all. As we are there, whatever we, we take our anxiety, we make it known to God. What we think the answer should be. You make your request known to God. You leave it there. If you don't even know how to pray, the Spirit of God is going to bring forth actions in your life anyway. And all of this is on the foundation of understanding and believing the good news. That is what it is all about. The Spirit of God, as well as Jesus, will make intercession for you and bring forth the life of God in you. With that, I can say and come to the conclusion, as you look at this logically, you can come to the conclusion, what can separate me from the love that there is in Jesus Christ, the love of God that there is in Christ? Nothing can separate me. For even if there's a difficult time, how to act in that time will be born from the Holy Spirit. I will find the love of God manifesting there. And if you truly study Romans chapter 8, the love, the, the love of God is defined as two things, the first fruit of the Spirit and the resurrection. That is the love of God. That is what it is. What can separate me from having immortality as was promised? And so, after receiving that immortal body, inheriting the kingdom, and so ruling with God? Nothing. Because we've got this God that loves us. We've got this God that loves us and brings forth life in us. Glory to God. So, You'll have to go and listen to this message again if you have some time. I will see that I maybe put a bit on a bit of this into the devotionals in the week to come. And let this just meditate on it, think on it, ponder on it. Glory to God. It, it, it is a good thing to give your mind to this. Uh, you will find what I've said is true. And I'm sure many of you can over years and years of knowing the grace gospel testify uh, to the validity of what I'm saying and the power of it. Man, thank you so much that I could have served you with this good news message today. Thank you for everybody. I'm just looking at all the people slotting in here on the Zoom meeting. Thank you so much that I could serve you with this good news message. And now let us pray and end off with prayer. Father, I want to come and first of all, I want to say thank you that we are fully qualified because through one sacrifice, you have perfected forever them that are being made holy. Father, we don't see all the holiness manifesting in our lives, but we acknowledge that we have been perfected. As we stand before you, you see where and how we desire more of a life that is set apart from the things of this world, wherein we are having our lives and our members available 
for the manifestation of what is good and what is best for us. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, as I pray for this congregation, I first of all want to acknowledge that all authority and all power belongs to you. And that this congregation that I'm praying for now is your body and that your spirit is poured out on each one of them. A life born from you is their future. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that I can pray according to your will this morning. And my request, as I must be honest, before you and before them, is I look at how I see so many people that are listening to the grace message falling into doctrines that are wrong, that is powerless, that doesn't need an empty grave as the absolute center of their theology. And I see people being tempted to go into that direction. Lord, because of, I don't know, it can be simple laziness to study the scriptures or to be serious with the text, being tempted just of the devil, going away from the truth. Lord, I come and I make my request known to you. My request is, Lord, that these people will stay with your gospel and that you give them an enlightened mind that they know how high, how wide, how deep and how long the love of Christ is, that they may know the resurrection, that they may know the gospel of your kingdom, that they may know what the true message is, which they already know. Lord, all I'm doing is I'm just praying what you've said we should pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from these, this evilness that is in the world that comes in the form of sheep, but, the, but, but they are wolves. People that are deceived themselves, really believing what they are saying, but they have a powerless message. Help this church. Help this congregation that you've given me, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that I could serve you with the good news of Jesus. This message will be available if you want to share it with somebody later on. It will be great. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, man, just hit that like there. You know how people are. They watch a video. If they see there's a 100 likes on the thing, they say it must be good. If you say, wow, it was good, and you don't put a like there on the YouTube, uh, man, you know, you walk away with it. But you can tell someone else it was good by just putting a like there if you did like it. Thank you so much. We will then chat again later. God bless.